Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to our, uh, I think this is our fourth Q&A episode. Yes, so it is our fourth. Really exciting times. Thank you for sending in your questions. Uh, sorry that we didn't get it up last week. Uh, Easter is, Easter's crazy. So if you work in Just the... a little bit. If you work in the church, uh, there's a lot of extra time that goes into it. So um, if you come to the Grove Church, I hope you're able to enjoy um, everything that we were able to put together as we celebrate uh, really just the, the center of our faith, the death and resurrection of uh, of Jesus. So, yeah, I love it because if that wasn't true, we'd, what what is uh, what does Paul say? If, said, if we he are to didn't, be pitied above all all, yeah. of, all others. <laughs> yeah, if what we believe is false, we would be fools, but we believe that it's the truth. But we are excited to hop into um, really some interesting questions this week. Um, Thank you um, to you know who you are for asking two really difficult questions, but um, we're excited about it. Uh, we have some good research, um, and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited for this one because honestly, as a pastor, this question has never come up because I work with youth, and usually youth sure. don't pay attention to this specific passage. But it's probably good for me to know because I also don't think we even covered it in school. You know, yeah, so. it's, I never heard about it in school. It's just one of those things. All right, well, we'll let's read the question first, and we'll talk about it. All okay. right, so the first question that came in this week is, in 1 Corinthians 11, there's a load of stuff about men covering their heads during prayer, women not covering their heads during prayer, women cutting their hair, etc. cetera. Uh, people, usually non-Christians trying to prove a point, get hung up on the fact that there's a lot of things here that are very contextualized to the current time and lifestyle. Uh, how can we navigate this? Obviously, we can't ignore it, um, but do we go back... Uh, to these commandments, what's basically what's the deal uh, with the First Corinthians eleven stuff on head coverings? And yes. so, um, and this is probably like not a great thing to admit, but honestly, like it's just one of those things I kind of ignored. <laughs> so, like, actually, and it's, it's one of the good things about this podcast yeah. where uh, it forces you to actually like, okay, well, let's do a bunch of research into <laughs> this and let's see like what's actually going on. Yeah, because so, we were even talking about like before when when this was up. We knew this question was going to pop up, but our knee-jerk reaction was saying, well, it's just cultural, right? It's it's a cultural mm-hmm. thing. Um, and I think maybe at its heart, yes, it was a cultural thing, and we're going to get into it. But it just – it causes us to look deeper into the things. Yeah. And so one of the first helpful things um, – and this – I don't want to take all credit for it. It's actually from a, a pastor called Paul Carter brought this analogy up that I thought was really helpful. Um, and basically, it's saying – we need to be very careful when we're reading the Bible that we take away the deeper point of a passage and not always the cult, the things that only apply to that culture. And a great example of this is um, in Matthew, let me find it here, Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 16 through 18, it says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that they are fasting and may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father sees in secret will reward you. So this passage is talking about how we should behave when we fast. Now it says, if you'll notice at the very end, uh, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. And so does that mean, you know, if I'm fasting and I don't uh, every morning pour oil over my head. Am I disobeying God's commands? Yes. And so what we're not. here to say is make sure you're pouring. No, but... Um, and here, <laughs> Olive oil will do fine. And here's what I would say. Um, in that culture, 
What you would normally do to make yourself look presentable is you'd wash your face, you'd, you'd anoint your head with oil. It's, it's things that basically – and the deeper point of the passage is don't um, don't try to make it outwardly obvious yeah. that you're fasting. Don't try and brag about the fact that you're fasting. And so if we were to bring it into like today's culture, we would say, hey, when you're fasting, like shower, shave. Wear nice clothes. Yeah, like, don't post it on social media. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't like go out of your way to. <laughs> oh, I'm like, so hungry today. Sorry, guys, I can't make it to lunch. I'm fasting today. Yeah, like, yeah. don't go out of your way uh, to brag about it, but rather, um, uh, just do basically go about life as normal. And so, almost in a certain way, and I, I want to be careful about saying this, but if we were to follow that particular passage word for word. And like when we fasted, we just anointed our heads with oil, but we never did any other point. That would almost be the opposite of what the pastor is talking about. Because yeah. then people would see like, oh, he, he's fasting. He looks different today than he normally does. Yeah, it would be it, – it would turn fasting from a spiritual experience to a ritual. Yeah. And there's beauty in ritual. I mean like communion and stuff like that. But the reality is fasting is personal. It's not something that um, – like what Evan was just saying, like we're not going to go out and post it on social media. We're not going to go out and disfigure ourselves t- so people ask questions because that's not what it's about. Yeah. Fasting is about um, you gaining, you know, more insight into what God is calling you to. And even, um, man, I should know this. Um, I didn't know we were going to get into the fasting <laughs> talk. Um, but somewhere in the New Testament, when they're talking about fast or talking about like breakthrough in your life, it says some things don't come except through prayer and fasting. Right. And so what that tells us is that fasting is personal. It's not something that um, should be, you know, corporate. Now that's not saying you can't, you don't tell like your, your small group or, or whatever to be like praying for you while you're fasting. It's mainly being show like not chauvinistic, that's Sh- showing off, showing off. Thank you. Um, to just say, Hey, look at me, look how spiritual I am. And even before that, or even in that passage, Jesus even talks about, hey, don't be like the hypocrites who pray loud, long prayers. But when you pray, go into a closed room, and yeah. and it's it, he's he's not talking about, um, like really, if we like dig deep down, like the core part part of that is some parts of our spirituality are personal, and that leads us to um, what Paul is talking about in First Corinthians, um, talking about head coverings, and it's an interesting. This is going to be the most interesting response um, I've ever heard, and we did a lot of research into this to make sure that what we were reading was credible. Um, and I mean, I've never heard this before, and so Evan, I'm gonna let you take it away because you are the expert so, on this. Yeah, we're not gonna go in like a, a, a super amount of detail, but so the question is, um, what is the point of the head coverings? Like, why is Paul? getting hung up on this culturally today this doesn't really make a lot of sense to us so the the idea is what's the deeper point that paul is getting at yeah and uh is it applicable to us today right i think is a second like part b to that question and so um going through and we honestly this is probably the question we've researched the most just because it's so it's so interesting and kind of out there for us today like when we're coming at it from our our modern cultural sensibilities like it doesn't even make sense what paul is talking about and so one of the interesting things that we found is that um, in, in, in the first century when this is all going on, there's uh, – the modern medical knowledge of this way, basically it viewed hair very differently than we would view it today. And so if you actually look into um, – if you know the name Hippocrates, which is where we get the Hippocratic Oath. And so um, kind of one of the very first 
medical doctors. Um, a lot of things are going on there. But um, in in a way that's completely discredited today, they actually viewed hair um, oftentimes as part of the reproductive process, which again sounds really weird to us today because we know that, well, it has nothing to do with that. Um, but particularly in women, um, your hair was viewed as an important part of the reproductive process. And, and because of that, um, it was considered improper uh, for particularly married women to show their hair in public. Um, it would kind of be like be the equivalent of like wearing uh, maybe like a really low cut shirt or something like that, where it's just kind of probably not something that's appropriate for church in general and maybe not uh, appropriate just, just overall. Um, and it, it wasn't viewed the same way as men because with men, hair was not viewed that way. It was kind of just viewed that way uh, for, for women. So yeah. And why that is, it's just, we don't know. It's a weird cultural thing. And this is why we, we say, um, we don't read the Bible for what it says in English. We have to have a cultural background and a context to view it through. Right. And, and cause, cause we've said this multiple times, we read the Bible for truth, not for the words, not for the information. We read it for truth. Yeah. And, um, why they thought that, Nobody knows. Yeah. So well, actually, there is a lot of people who know, but we don't want to get into it because it would literally take an hour. Yeah. There's a researcher named uh, Troy Martin who kind of did a, a lot of different research into this and wrote a paper. It's pretty wild. Like to uh, again to us today, me and Connor are reading through, and it's just like, what on earth is going on? But <laughs> I put um, a hat on for this <laughs> for this podcast. For this podcast. Um, but suffice it to say, uh, it, it seems like, and again, I don't want to be very definitive with this because this is a really complicated question, but it's also an open hand issue. Oh yeah. Very open handed. <laughs> so you can, you could very easily, uh, present me with new evidence that we didn't see and I would change my mind. So yeah. this is not something I'm holding on to <laughs> fast, but, um, as, as best as we can tell, um, the, the main point that Paul's getting across is basically the importance of men and women to behave modestly within church, um, and to not be, um, a distraction in church because of the way we dress, because of the way we act. There's kind of a modesty, um, both in physical appearance and a modesty of, of spirit as well that Paul is getting at. And so uh, for them today, part of modesty was uh, wearing a head covering. That leads us into the second question that we received. And um, this, I like this question. Um, this one, this it's one an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, but the question is this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, uh, Paul talks about how the church is first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, and so on. My understanding of this was based on the foundation of the church as in the first century Christianity. Um, but some churches will argue that it applies to today. What are your thoughts on this? Now, in the po- in the in the um, section of verses that uh, we're talking about, there is a. Um, it almost seems like a ranking system. He goes: first are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, and so on and so forth. And so, what you can read, um, you know, just right at the beginning, is that this is a ranking system. That the apostles are the most important, then the prophets, and then the teachers. Yeah. And then on the lower, you know, totem pole, it's the people who can do miracles, those who can heal, those who have um, can can help others, those who have the gift of administration. And, and it can almost seem like an elitist list of saying, hey, these are the gifts that you should desire because these are the ones that really matter. But some of you, man, all you – maybe only you speak in tongues, which is the least. We have to read this passage in context because Paul um, 
is talking about um, the the title of the passage in my Bible is called One Body, Many Parts. Right. And as we are reading this, we see that Paul is actually making um, making comparisons of, you know, it, the human body has many parts, but many parts make up one whole body, and so it is the same with the body of Christ. And yeah, he goes on to say that if the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And so if we read this with this lens of Paul saying, hey, there are certain things that, you know, you you can't, uh, like, like, let's be honest, you can't live without a brain. Right. Right. But that doesn't make it more um, valuable. I mean, I, I guess and to some extent it can make yeah, it a it's little... Yeah, kind of, to kind of use an analogy, um, there are people who don't have arms or legs yeah. and they're able to survive. And, and some of them are able to like do really well. But um, I don't think anyone would argue that the human body functions best yeah. when you have all of the parts working together. Yeah. And so as Paul is is ranking these, or excuse no, not ranking, as Paul is listing these, um, we can read that first, second, third, and then so on as a ranking system, like gold, silver, bronze, and the right. other people who just finished the race. That's not what it is at all. I'll tell you what, if I lost my hands, um, that would be a, a big, huge bummer. Like, like seriously, like you can't do as much. You are limited if you don't have a limb, if you don't have vision. And that's what Paul is trying to get at. And he goes on to say, man, you should desire these gifts. Um, but just because um, they are, you know, listed above and, and even in, we see like the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, these are people who are doing honestly more like public ministry. Mm-hmm. And, and, and let's be honest as me and Evan, who are people in public ministry, like, yeah, you could desire that, but it comes with a burden. And so when he's saying like basically we can we can bring it into today's culture we have um, you know pastors who have hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter and Instagram and and Facebook and all that but just because their platform is bigger doesn't mean that it's more important yeah and I think the really what Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about is spiritually thriving as yeah. a church and so yeah there are some. Um, if you if you don't have these things in your church, it's very hard to call it a church. Like if you're not teaching the Bible and talking about Jesus, um, I mean you can do all the stuff that you want, but it's it's hard to oh, call you. Oh, we teach the Bible here. Yeah, so it's, it's hard to call it's hard to call you a church if that's not one of the uh, uh, the main things that you're doing. Um, there's some lists of gifts in here where like yeah, you could probably have a church without some of these things, but it's not going to be as effective in ministry, and it's not going to be as effective in reaching people for the kingdom of God. If you don't have the whole body together, mm-hmm. and and that's where it's important to um, not just get hung up on a verse or a passage, but really zoom out and see uh, the book as a whole. Like, what yeah. is Paul trying to communicate? And and he's trying to communicate that we are all part of a body. Um, all of the spiritual gifts are important. And then he also, and I, I love the fact that he puts this in at the end. Um, not everyone is going to have yeah. every gift, and that's okay. Yeah, verse twenty nine through thirty one says this, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we have the gift of healing? Do we have the ability to speak an unknown language, which is tongues? Do we have the ability to interpret unknown language, which is also talking about interpreting tongues? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Yeah. And and I it's, think it's about unity. It's about, man, if we do these things together, man, the gates of hell are not going to prevail. Yeah. And I, I think uh, I've, I've spoken on this in youth before. And one of the examples I used is, um, so we have a, our friend Kyle, who is the, uh, 
the worship leader at Snohomish. So uh, great, great musician, great singer, like has a really powerful gifting on his life. Um, if I spent my life just earnestly desiring the gift to be able to sing and lead worship and do those things, um, maybe one day I could get good enough to do it, but it's probably not going to be what God has for me and not where I'm going to thrive. And so the option that Paul's laying down is you can either um, be jealous of a different gift that maybe you don't have, or you can see the gifts that God has given you. And if we all use those without jealousy, without pride, without arrogance, but if we all in humility use our gifts, the church is able to really thrive and, and do ministry in a beautiful way. Yeah. Do what God has gifted you to do. Don't desire the things like me. I'm a leader. I'm a preacher. Um, I've never been a part of like praying for somebody and then being healed. Now, I could desire that, say, God, like, I would love to be a part of that. But if all I'm focusing is chasing after that, I think it also takes away the importance of the gifts because now you're desiring the gifts, not what the gifts produce. And even worse, if you're not using the gifts God has given you because you're waiting for a gift that maybe God won't, like, that's that's just not an effective use of the time. We all have a finite mm-hmm. amount of time. Yeah to really do the work that God has called us for. And Andy so. Stanley said this, and before we end this question and move on, it's this. He says, only do what you can do. Now, he's talking about like leadership and stuff, but I think that's also the same in sure. in our spiritual lives as well. Only do what you can do. And that doesn't mean he, – he was even saying when he says this, he's like, man, I want to be – you know, a better writer. I want to be a better pastor. I want to do these things. But if I spend all of my time focusing on my weakness, it's actually going to be pretty discouraging because my weaknesses are weaknesses for a reason. And that doesn't mean we should try to get better, but man, we should be leaning into the things that God has naturally gifted us yeah. with. And there's nothing wrong. I, I do want to be careful to say like, if, if it's on your heart, a certain gift, there's nothing wrong with, you know, asking God, like, God, I would love to move in this gift, all these mm-hmm. different things. What the, the point we're trying to get make is don't get so hung up yeah. on seeking after other gifts that you don't use the gifts that you can exercise right now. Yep. That'd kind of be the idea. Uh, finally, our third question says, in Deuteronomy 17, 14 and onward, it talks about what to do if the Israelites wanted a king and then how kings should behave. So why was the response to the request for a king uh Saul, obviously, being the first king, so negative. So in 1 Samuel 8, uh, they talk about the Israelites go to Samuel. They want a king. They want to be like other nations. And it says that Samuel is grieved. uh, God is grieved. And in fact, he says, um, basically, like, they haven't sinned against you. They sinned against me. Or they have rejected me because they, they don't want me to be king anymore. That's God speaking. And so the question is, if in Deuteronomy we get... These, uh, I'm trying to think of how to say, it. if we if we get these parameters for what's going to happen if Israel eventually wants a king, why is it treated as such a negative thing in First Samuel when Israel eventually does? Yeah, and and really, like honestly, just to make it as simple as possible, it was never in God's intention for Israel to have a king, but God being sovereign, God being loving, and he wanted to take care of his chosen people. We got to remember this. This is like his, these are his children. Like like he cares for them and God knows everything. He is all knowledgeable, all powerful. He's everywhere at the same time. He knew it was going to happen. And so as he is revealing this to Samuel or not to Samuel, to, to Moses, he knew that one day Samuel was going to anoint a king Mm -hmm. and he knew that, we need to have structure moving into it because if we don't, it's almost like you're going to play a catch up game 
and and I don't I don't think God wanted to let His people suffer. It was almost a it was almost a frame framework of grace of saying, "Hey, I know you're going to mess up and you're going to do something against my will, but I'm also going to give you a framework to work from because I care about you that much." Yeah, if it's understanding that eventually the people are going to want this, it's giving them parameters to at least make it as best as good as it possibly can be. Um, it reminds me a little bit of. When Jesus is talking about divorce, mm-hmm. and so people come up and they say all these different things about, you know, if let's say uh, a man and a woman get married and the man dies, and then he has six brothers and she gets married and they all die um, right after they get married. Which first off, if I'm like the fifth or sixth brother, I'm like, no thanks. Yeah. Like that's that's <laughs> hard just pass. Hard pass. But um, all of that aside, um, he says that basically God does not like divorce. God hates divorce. Yet because of the hardness of the people. Uh, in the law of Moses, we see that there are certain rules given for what should happen in the case of divorce. And so, what that shows us is that um, there are cases where God does not approve of a, of a thing and yet gives us parameters with which to work in that thing. And I, I would think that um, the kingship of Israel is a very similar thing. It's not something that God necessarily wants in his perfect will, um, but it's something that he understands is going to happen. And so he gives the Israelites some parameters to do that. That doesn't make it um, any less hurtful when Israel rejects God as king and chooses a human king. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's it's really as simple as that. It's It, it kind of just shows God's love. Like if you yeah. really peel the layers back, it shows his love for his people. He didn't want his people to suffer. He really didn't. Um, his people were, I mean, here's the deal. What do they always say? Hindsight's 2020. Sure. 50, 50. Yeah. <laughs> we are definitely sitting here projecting our opinions on the Israelites saying, oh, you guys just should have trusted God, blah, 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 whatever. But the reality is if we were there, we might've been in that crowd saying we need a king. Yeah. If, you know, if you're reading, and this is important for us too, because we're going into Joshua and Judges and all these different books. If you're reading these books and thinking to yourself, like, what a bunch of idiots, um, you're reading it a little bit wrong because it's not just the fact that, yeah, they are idiots and they make a bunch of poor decisions, um, but we would have to. And yep. I think there's a lot of- uh, And we do. Yeah. C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery, where we look back on people uh, who lived a long time ago and just think- Which to Chronicles of Narnia was that one? That's <laughs> that's in, uh, I don't even know, but I'm just kidding. Prince Caspian? Sure. That's- uh, that's one of the chronicles. Is it? No, I don't think the so. The magician's it's, nephew. Uh, no, wait. Prince Caspian is. Is that the title? This is way off topic. I have no idea. Let's... He's in Don Treader. He's in another one. I don't, I don't remember <laughs> if it's called Prince Caspian or not. Anyway, all of that to say, um, yeah, there there are places where God gives us parameters to things that He doesn't necessarily approve uh, of. Well, I think that uh, that wraps it up for this one. So thank you so much for all of your questions. Uh, remember that you can email them in to info at grove.church. You can also Facebook message the Grove Church page. We can get them that way. Um, if you know me and Connor, you can just text these questions too. However, you want to get them in. Uh, but stay tuned for our next episode coming up on Sunday.